Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 70, we sit down with Bill Kenworthy to discuss his background and specifically how his engineering degree has served him throughout his career as he's advanced to running high-performing teams. We also discuss market trends and how Edison Energy is serving their clients today from a consulting standpoint, especially as it relates to sustainability, decarbonization, and electrification. Really good stuff there. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks out there still screaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it, leave a five-star review on our page, and of course, be sure to subscribe. Now, we think you're going to enjoy this conversation between Bill and I, so let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Bill Kenworthy, who is the Vice President of Energy Optimization with Edison Energy. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we uh, we made this happen. I know I reached out to you on, on LinkedIn, got connected there, and I'm uh, glad we got this thing scheduled. So uh, what I'd like to do before we get into Edison Energy and what you guys are up to, let's uh, let's take a step back. Tell our audience about your background, kind of where you grew up, and, and eventually how you got started in the industry here. Sure. I'm happy to share some of those details. Um, I grew up near Philadelphia on, on the New Jersey side, so a, a Philadelphia sports fan, which becomes a problem now that I live in New York City, but uh, I carry on. I studied engineering undergrad at Drexel University. The electrical engineering side thought I was going to head out to telecom and do that work, and then um, went to a recruiting fair of where Deloitte came and said, for $5,000, would you like to become an IT consultant, $5,000 bonus, and uh, give up all your engineering? I said, sure, sounds good. So <laughs> I, uh, even though I was a very good engineer, I moved into IT consulting and really helped clients. This was kind of late 90s, early 2000s. While the dot-com was happening, it was more about companies moving into like big ERP packages like SAP. So I, at the time, I became really excellent at data, data analysis. And I think that subsequently served me well in my career. Um, spent about five years at Deloitte and then realized I wanted to move into core business as much as I liked the tech side. I also cared about the business side. And I'd say that's a general arc for my career, which is getting closer to the business, closer to clients, closer to making fundamental decisions. Uh, spent a little time at Nissan. Uh, that was out West. I did move out West. And then it was time to come back East for personal reasons. And so there was a company called Hess Corporation. If you, know, if you live on the East Coast, you would know them most likely for gas stations up and down um, the Eastern Corridor, uh, but they have an energy marketing division. They were helping clients in the deregulated energy space. And you know, going back to my electrical engineering background, my heavy analytics, I moved into like the electricity pricing desk. So really helping clients think about you know, what kinds of products they wanted that fit their risk profile. And then from there, it was, okay, well, let, me, let me do some sales. And then Hess started anticipating that 
the deregulate or distributed energy trend was happening. And by then, we'd been acquired by a company, Direct Energy, also a national energy uh, retailer. And then Direct, they formally split off a distributed energy division. And that was in about 2015 for me. Um, really loved that space. In some ways, it was early. We can talk about you know, how, I've, how I've experienced it evolving and how I think clients are making decisions. And then in February of 2021, I recruited. I was recruited in the pandemic. I think you know a little bit about helping um, professionals do that. It was very sure. unusual yeah. um, to be recruited um, by Edison Energy. Um, I really liked where they were in their journey, and, and be happy to talk about the firm. But we were really trying to grow our business to serve clients. And I, at this point in my career, I think I'm really good at helping individual sales teams doing projects. But what excited me about the opportunity with Edison is it was trying to really grow the business in the enterprise. So it was more of a strategic choice for me. And so it's been about 18 months. Um, my CEO is in California. And so the pandemic, uh, you know, doing things virtually, really accelerated the recruiting process. So it was, it was fascinating. And so it's sort of been an arc from, from IT to more back office all the way through up to helping um, helping and dealing with clients in the C-suite today. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot to unpack there. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. The whole recruiting aspect during the pandemic, it changed a lot, right? You mentioned how it expedited. Yeah. We saw the same thing where yes, things are uncertain and yes, things are slowing down and there's, there's so much that's happening right now in, in, in the world, but we still got goals. We still got to meet objectives. We still got to grow, right? Companies just couldn't stop. So they, uh, they kind of, um, they expedited the, the interview process to where, Hey, Maybe in the past, we had to fly this person across the country. We had to get your schedule synced up with three other C-level executives. And that might take three or four weeks before we could set a date, book a flight, et cetera. And now you could do, you know, it just moved a lot quicker. So um, no, that's that's super interesting. So before we get into Edison Energy, I wanted to go back a second. You mentioned having the electrical engineering degree from Drexel, although you didn't follow that traditional pipeline. How has that background, kind of that technical background served you throughout your career? I would imagine to a certain degree. Yeah, I, I just have the DNA and I don't know if I had it going into undergrad or it where it was, you know, honed and perfected there of being analytical. And for me, the method I learned in IT about how to, this is going to sound really pedantic, but how to debug programming code, like the ability to say, okay, well, it's not this, it's not this. And to and then in other times to use data. Right now in real time, I'm working with my CFO and my head of my one function to unpack elements of our, our P&L statement, our income statement. You know, we're trying to find trends about certain costs. We're investing in clients that develop projects. And it, you know, is it hitting the balance sheet? Is it, is it hitting our SGNA? And I know that my training from 25 years ago is, is just a muscle I have to be uh, to isolate problems. So I also oversee engineers today in the field doing you know, mechanical work that I don't have any experience with, but I find by being a curious leader, you know, I'm able to ask questions and even help take them and you know, kind of rise up, see the forest through the trees. So I, when I think back, Jim, to your when I think back relative to your question, it's about probably just problem solving is is really what the engineering background allowed me. Yeah, that's. Uh, I thought that's where you were going to go with this because I can't help but look at this from from a recruiting standpoint. Because oftentimes when we're working with hiring managers, hiring leaders, even if the profile doesn't require a degree in engineering, they tend to gravitate 
towards great engineers because you know how to solve problems, right? That's one of the most important yeah. things that an employee can do, whether you're entry-level, mid-level, executive, your ability to solve problems that has a direct correlation to your worth and value within the corporation, within the company. So that was, yeah, um, as, that's, that's great. As, as you would know by, you know, trying to help place really skilled professionals into matching corp- corporations who need that match, we can't, and we should never aspire to think we are the smartest person in the room on yeah. every topic. Yeah. Right. So that ability to problem solve and be curious. I also understand, and I say this with great affection, the engineering pedigree, like the team members of mine that have been in the field 20 and 30 years, they, they might just kind of think in terms of being binary. So mm-hmm. when I can honor their thinking, I find that they'll relax and we can unpack more of like the opportunities or root causes. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. So yeah, so tell us about Edison Energy, what you guys are up to and, and kind of, um, yeah, walk us through that. Yeah, Edison Energy, uh, admittedly, even when I was recruiting, I think I was vaguely familiar with the firm, but it wasn't a brand or a, a group that I was familiar with or in, had encountered much. So Edison Energy, we are a boutique consultancy, the way I, the way I think about it. And we are an advisor first. And I really want to emphasize that Um, And it's really in the energy and sustainability space. So here's how I think about what happens. If a CEO is told by her board that she needs to get to net zero by 2032, so she's been given that mandate by her board, and she's running all parts of the business, right? The core operations could be healthcare, could be industrial. Board tells her we need to do this for market-based reasons. Great. She turns around and says, what do I do? I want her, and I think often they are calling Edison Energy to do that. So it could be, what what is that firm doing presently around their sustainability strategy? You know, what protocols must they report into? What measures are they taking today? So we have a sustainability practice, and we really—I know this is an overused cliche—but we really think of that as the tip of the spear. I mean, it's really if if we can engage a client from that part of the journey, we love to start there. So I, I think, you know, you would hire us for an engagement and, and our team would spend, could be six weeks, could be six months helping that or get their bearings. And then the next piece that we can do depends on where they want to go. If they, you can take out some of your, your carbon levels by doing offsite renewables. You, you, can, you can be located in New York and contract with a wind farm in Kansas and get you know, credit for that. It's sort of financial but it really can drive you towards your decarbonization. And that's another business unit. And then my business unit, we are the team that helps with the on-site activity. I know you know this space really well, the efficiency space. And you know, it could be everything from, we help them scan what light bulbs to change, but could be really more complex, like implementing new distributed energy resources like you know, solar or storage or CHP. And so I really emphasize we're an advisor first. We, we're not pitching a certain solution. Mm-hmm. We're not pitching a certain technology. We're also meeting the client where they are on their journey. And we're trying to advance that. Sometimes the advisory output you know, could be a white paper or a pack to the board. We could be done from, then, from that point on. Or they could say, okay, now help us do that transaction with the offsite renewable or help us make this one plant more efficient so we can stay with them on the journey. But it was an interesting change for me because at my prior company, when Direct Energy launched a distributed energy division, and, and we ultimately took the name of the parent company called Centrica, felt like we were selling a solution. When we got into the boardroom, it was 
how do we push megawatts at you? It's very different being a consultant. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're more listening. Again, that curiosity piece. So. Yeah. So you had mentioned meeting the customer where they're at. I'm curious, like the level of sophistication, the customers that you're communicating with, where yep. do they come to you with a certain level of knowledge? Is it like, hey, I have no idea what we're doing. We're talking about decarbonization. We got these laws that we got to hit. We got greenhouse uh, gas reduction. We got certain goals that are coming from what, right? They're confused. Or are they coming with a certain level of sophistication? Like, hey, this is what we need to do. And we need your help in these areas. So I'd be curious if you could unpack kind of like, what level or what level of experience some of these customers are coming to you with? I'm going to ask you to have a guess. And then when I answer it, you can tell me if it matched your guess. Okay. When even multinational clients come to us or regional at an enterprise level, I find they have a very fragmented approach. Okay? Sure. Now, individuals within the, that company, they might have a really strong hypothesis or even the right direction. So a plant manager might come and say, I know I need to do these five projects that works, but that plant manager, and for very good reasons, has their scope, right? They need to, maybe they have the PNL for that region. Maybe they have operational like outputs they need to fit. So it fits in that box, but that person probably doesn't have all the data where they're not in the other meetings, which are talking about the sustainability goals, or maybe the CapEx budget that could be unlocked if that CFO understood all the measures down there. So at at an enterprise level, I think clients need a lot of support Mm -hmm. figuring out the vector, the the direction of travel. Got it. Got it. No, that makes sense. All right. So I know we could spend a lot of time talking about this because I am genuinely curious and interested in what you guys are doing. This, This sounds really exciting. Uh, but let's let's move on to kind of the uh, the next part here. If you were to look out the future five, 10, 15 years from now, I mean, where do you see the industry heading? And you could take this in a couple of different directions, either from a technology standpoint, from a legislation standpoint, from an overall trend standpoint. The headline that I think about is that companies, the market is demanding companies do become more sustainable. And I think that is no longer just greenwashing or an ad. I think they will have to make changes to the way they operate. And this mm-hmm. is a dilemma because mm-hmm. this will require investment in non-core things of a company. If they have $5 million to spend, most companies would choose to put a new manufacturing line than upgrade the HVAC. It's just you know, the business case seems more front and center. Sure. And I I witnessed this has been a very rapid evolution, this commitment, and whether it's BlackRock saying that its portfolio companies have to decarbonize, really what it comes down to, I use that as an example. I mean, what I'm trying to drive there is boards are demanding it of the companies because shareholders and stakeholders are demanding it. This is the macro level trend that is Probably everyone sees it, but it's very real to me. So now we're seeing the legislation fall in line. And this was, at least for the energy industry in the US, the Inflation Reduction Act is obviously a major tailwind um, for the measures and incentives that are inside of that. And because of that, Jim, I think we're going to see companies have a tension between that choice of investing in the core and investing in the infrastructure 
that supports the core. So how does that start to unlock? Um, I think electric vehicles, um, not and, and in fleets, is definitely a trend we are seeing and witnessing. And now we're also seeing that going from light and medium duty to some of the class eight vehicles, the larger tractor trailers that we would know. And it happens in really interesting places. So there are distribution warehouses. There's global distribution companies that what they do is they customize their warehouses for their clients underneath. They're anticipating, oh, what do I need to be in, in 2025 and 2030 around having charging stations? And what I can witness for you or, or share with you is that this, the way companies think about electric vehicles, or we use the term transportation, electrification, it could be forklifts, could be tractor trailers, could be the, the small light and medium duty vehicles. They absolutely are not wired inside of their company to make that decision, right? Today, there's a really dedicated fleet manager who knows exactly when to buy a car, which car, how to dispose of it, how to track the gas, gasoline. That person might be able to shift their mind towards an electric vehicle, but the electric vehicle will cost more on day one, but the total cost of ownership over its lifetime will be less. But you have to put chargers and you have to worry about routes and now you have to worry about the electric bill. That company, going back to the enterprises aren't ready, they don't know how to make the decision yet. So we at Edison mm. spend a lot of time, whether it's sustainability, electric vehicles, or even efficiency roadmaps, educating the client. So I'm just to throw out there in, in this organic way we're talking, mm -hmm. I think one evolution is companies are going to rewire the way they make these decisions. And we, whether it's Edison or others serving the industry, are going to be with them good or bad on that journey as they rewire the way they make decisions. Wow. Okay. Yeah. A lot to, uh, lot to process there. And I'm actually, I'm thinking about what you mentioned at the beginning, as far as like the, the regulations here, and you probably know this very well in New York, I think initially with some of the sustainability and decarbonization initiatives, if companies weren't hitting it, it was the equivalent of a slap on the wrist, right? These big corporations that they weren't doing, it was a few thousand dollars or something like that. It wasn't worth it, right? They're like, Hey, we'll just take the fine. Now we're okay. not going to do it. I have heard that now those fines are becoming to the point where it's painful enough where they have to do it, right? So companies like yourselves and other organizations that focus on this, I think are having more of a front and center key role in helping them meet their goals, sustainability and decarbonization. I, I know in New York specifically, you could probably speak on that. Yeah, so we'll, let's bucket that into a, a term called building electrification. You sure. So whether it was local law 87 in New York, which was you know a baseline level of compliance, and it was a, a big business. I think a lot of regional uh, engineering firms served clients really well and were you know received the appropriate you know compensation for that they they served a legislative need local law 97 in new york is punitive okay and there is kind of active tension going on between the city and say the healthcare operators in the city because there's only so much efficiency that they can take out sure and if you're a public hospital um they're all you know often nonprofit what what can you do? You know, you're like, okay, I can shut down the hospital in a, in a need, but that would be very unjust in that area. You know, might so there's that. Boston has something called Birdo 2.0, B-E-R-D-O 2.0, and what's starting to happen in these legislative drivers is they say you can't have natural gas in a new building in New York and in Boston, where natural gas is is the heating source. You can't have it starting with all new construction. To, that's coming online in say 2030, 
And so therefore you have to switch to electricity and you have to use less electricity. As, as one of my uh, leading engineers says, that seems to be anti-physics, you know? So, but this is, it's coming and it's being driven down. So you ask about trends. So I, I'm wondering as we get closer to these threshold dates, will the local legislators relax off that? You know, when the hospital systems can't or, or when the heating levels can't be attained or will, or will new technology and more efficiency come in? It's really going to be an interesting tension. Yeah, time, time will tell. But uh, no, that's, that's fascinating stuff. So let's transition to the last part of the show here. That's how we close out every episode. We ask four questions and I wanted to lead off here, Bill, and ask you, what are your daily non-negotiables? Sure. Uh, I have to exercise every day. Um, I definitely have to be a taxi for my children to some of their sports events. And I, with the pandemic, you know, the ability to have more flexibility and work, if I can hop out during the day, I will do that, but I will always invest in the kids. So I guess it's about the children, their, their wellness, uh, a little bit, my wellness. So I'm going to hit the gym a couple of years ago. I started using uh, an app called Headspace, a little bit of a meditation app. And I find like when I'm in the crunch of intensity, uh, stepping out for about 10 minutes on that is very helpful. I do that. I probably, uh, a non-negotiable inside of work is for any of my direct reports, like if they have an acute need, I will always meet, the, you know, find time to address that with them. Like I, I will not, I know it's another question coming, but uh, being a good teammate is a deep value of mine. Love that. Love that. All right. So let's rewind the clock. You're graduating from Drexel, 22-year-old Bill. What advice would you give to yourself then? I would give 22-year-old Bill the same advice that I give 22-year-olds today, which is I would encourage people to pick a major. I wound up having a career that was a generalist, you know, I, the arc of my career from IT to engineering. I, I went back to business school. I got my MBA at NYU. I found that I had to get marketing yourself as a generalist takes longer to someone like a recruiter. Jim, you might like me as a person. You'd be like, I don't know how to sell Bill like to another firm. And unless you just absolutely don't have interest, I would say pick one and go be great at that. Mm. And then some of the other things you could circulate as a hobby. So whether it's going to be a great engineer for the first 10 years of your career or going to investment banking or law, I today sometimes envy people that have that deep expertise. There's something there. There's something there for sure. One more. The other yeah. one I would say to 22-year-old Bill is have a little more self-compassion. The world is a noisy place and we, most of us get up every day and try our best. And sometimes you can try your best and make a bad call you know, by accident. Maybe you should not have. So learning more self-compassion and just moving through mistakes and just ne- what's the next best action? That is something that's taken me a long time to learn. Excellent. Excellent. All right. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Creating connections, creating connections. So what I find I'm, when I'm energized the most, it's, I had a a great team meeting. It doesn't mean it was comfortable. doesn't mean it was easy topics, but when I find that professionals get into a space, really unpack things and have connection, I get inspired by that. The same thing when I get into a boardroom or with a client, you know, I understand they might be looking at me like a vendor contractually, but when we sit together, we are peers. We are peers trying to solve a problem. And so when that connection is real and authentic, 
I will feel great. Whether or not it results in a, a contract or an engagement, or whether we just said timing's not right, but hey, in a couple, you know, couple years, we we may cross paths again. And uh, it is, it's no cliche, right, Jim, that it's a small world and energy. Sure. And and people you've worked for um, may work for you one day. People that have you've hired or fired, you can come across. So treating people with dignity in that process of creating and maintaining connection is is the way I operate. And a lot of my colleagues do too. And last question here, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? Impact. I probably will not create the iPhone as Steve Jobs did and changed the world, but I would like to think that because I've been a youth coach in 10 years, I'll see a little one and she'll say, I remember how you helped me or a team member that I helped raise up, or maybe there's a client for whom we created an efficiency project or even a you know scope one, scope two, even scope three. And they said, you were part of the process or the engine that created an outcome. So every day I try to show up, have self-compassion, make the best decisions possible, all to that purpose of just making an impact. Well, Bill, I think that's a great way to, to close things out here. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this and uh, thanks for being a guest. All right, Jim. Thanks for everything. Good luck. All right. All right, there you have it, episode 70 with Bill Kenworthy. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoyed listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.